0: It, Put remote on Darken Station. What? Universal remote.
1: Put it down on Darken Station. Listen to this
2: prick giving orders. You got some balls, my friend. Whoop.
1: You are listening to Pada a podcast that breaks down every episode of the Sopranos one at a time. Pine Barons! Episode 11 of season three, the heavyweight champion of most talked about episodes, other than the finale by most casual fans. It's not a deep cut by any means. Mm. We're about the deep cuts here on Pata Bing, but this one is A side track one. Yeah. Right, Naya? Mm-hmm. The go to episode for a rewatch. The go-to episode to have it on in the background while you're cooking dinner or paying your taxes or doing whatever it is that you do. This is like... Paying your taxes. You don't pay your taxes? No. <laughs> the Undisputed Champion of Christopher Polly Ball Breaking, mm. both intentional and in good fun. Written by Terrence Winter, who got the story from Tim Van Patten. Very important distinction there. And they pitched it to Chase. Who said, go. Wow.
3: He had a dream about it.
1: Yeah. Wow. Directed by Steve Buscemi. Amazing. Who got the gig because David Chase was a fan of a feature he directed called Trees Lounge. Trees Lounge. In which Michael Imperioli also acted. Perfect. Trees Lounge was a very regularness of life down on his luck guy movie. And David Chase was a fan. Mm-hmm. So you can see the parallel there. He had been asked to do something in season one but he was unavailable. He had been asked to do something in season two, also unavailable. Interesting. They had a good fortune of getting him in season three and all parties were very happy. And this is the episode that we got. Originally aired May 6, 2001, HBO Synopsis, in this episode directed by Steve Buscemi, Paulie and Christopher are engulfed in a nightmarish journey into the South Jersey woods while trying to collect a debt from a Russian mobster. Could have done a little bit better than Mobster. I mean, he killed 16 Chechen rebels single-handed. Meanwhile, Meadow is suspicious that Jackie Jr. is two-timing her. Mm. I just love that, Too two-timing. Time. It's very, like, nostalgic. Totally. You, know? you, don't, you don't hear that today. I'm going to start bringing it back. You two-timing cocksucker. And Tony finds that family demands are jeopardizing his romance with Gloria. This show took 12 days to shoot. One of the longer ones of the series. Usually they were eight or nine days or less. Title, Pine Barrens. It's a protected wilderness area in South Jersey. The actual forest scenes, though, were filmed at Harriman State Park in New York. Wow. There's a story. A New Jersey county executive denied a permit to record in New Jersey because he was offended by the show. Wow. And it's depictions of ethnic groups in stereotypical fashion. Get a life. Right? Here's the kicker. That same assemblyman Mm -hmm. was later imprisoned for corruption. There you go. Perfect.
3: That two-timing... That (laughs) two-timing
1: cocksucker. (laughs) I wonder if he got a visit from David Chase in the can. Wow,
3: Was it he protecting South Jersey? Because there's a lot of knocks against South Jersey in this episode, too.
1: That's true. That's very true. But come on, man. The ethnic stereotypes and... He, the, anyway, so they found a place in upstate New York, but that was part of the reason That's why crazy. it took uh, 12 days to shoot. Crazy. I believe that Steve Buscemi did a director's cut of this episode as well. Opening sequence. A. I was hoping Naya was going to oh, burst into the song. Van Morrison... <laughs> Gloria
0: I missed that until you wrote it I I was just looking at her outfit I didn't even hear the music well good because my first
1: question is her outfit thoughts amazing fire yeah
3: Gloria Stark of house crazy
1: when you get off an airplane from Morocco is
0: that the first thing you put on I mean it looks like a 90s Gucci look full Gucci it's amazing
1: do you feel the headband no would you ever rock that no
0: Okay,
3: Something about headbands I in the show. You mentioned uh, Meadow with yeah. her headband and Gloria with her headband. And the, I the type headband of power time just for that what, comes I, from that.
1: what I was looking for and what I wondered was if Steve Van Zant, Stevie Van Zant, Little Steven, if he inspired that look. Oh, influence. Because that's his look. Was it a yeah.
0: headscarf or a it headband? Was a, it was
1: a headscarf. Yeah. It was a headscarf. I'd wear that I maybe. wonder if that's kind of where it came from. It's very um, Italian mobster vibes though. Here. Arena Calls. I
0: love how she says Stuguts. Uh, She's so cute.
1: She is so cute.
0: I thought it was interesting that Irina chose to lie just to be safe to cover up for Tony. just She in knows case. the drill. Yeah, she I, plays
1: I thought the that game. was really cool. She was a true Gumad. She's well, loyal. this is the
3: Gumar phone number, too. It's That's the, true. the boat.
1: The Stuguts. Gloria's signs come early in this episode, man. You hear the Van Morrison song, beautifully sets up for like a wonderful afternoon tryst on the boat, but quickly she snaps. At this point, I almost feel like telling Tony, run, motherfucker. Mm-hmm. This is not a good look. This is not going to end well. Tony's reaction when she bounces, when she leaves, his face, the way he looks down, no words. Yeah, to this day, whenever something doesn't go right for me, I summon, I channel that Gloria leaving Tony on the stew Guts look. It's crazy how reactive all the
0: other women in his life are besides Carmella. Carmella doesn't really have tam- temper tantrums around him until, like, later when she gets really pushed to the edge.
1: But she is sarcastic.
0: Yeah, but never, like, yeah. you know...
1: Remember back in season one? Bipolar
0: mess-throwing things.
1: When they have to do spring cleaning, mm. and she has to go, and he, ha- she- he empties all the money and all the guns out of the... Yeah, nothing, just super here calm. we go. It's like a normal day at the office. She's a soldier. Cut to Polly getting his fucking nails done i'm kind of shocked personally oh i'm not at all that paulie gets his nails done nah
3: Old have you done school. it before never oh dude it's the best
1: i i've heard that and i it's look so good i've never done it before but what is it about
0: it i'm not
3: big on the hands i don't need that but if you get your the pedicure it's so nice you're relaxing you're
0: Vic's face right now everyone you
3: exfoliate your feet he's turned you to get stone like have you done the
1: fish the little
0: fish i haven't biting done that looks thing? cool
3: though have you done
1: don't that? do the fish so you guys are pro Polly getting nails done. It's not a bad look for it's Polly. It's old school. It's it's cl-
0: classy if a man does that he's secure with his masculinity. Dude,
3: if she's got to watch Castaway, you got to get your nails done. Yeah,
0: agreed. Okay. Satin finish. He gets them painted, which I find that's, not, a little that's weird. too much. But, but I yeah.
3: don't like that they ask me every time, "What color do you want?" I'm like,
0: "Have you ever asked for the satin finish, John?"
3: I think I will next time.
0: Satin finish is just a clear gloss for yeah. Wants
3: to know.
1: Polly says, "I don't even know why we deal with these people." It's because they make the money, which back in Latin, the last episode, we kind of broke down the money laundering scheme. This right here, this moment, the Slava-Tony dynamic isn't directly responsible for Breaking Bad, but you can see where the germ for that idea came from when you watch how Tony protects and reroutes his money. Just say. I can see that. Um, it's also just
0: cool the first shot of Polly he's getting his nails done, and then where he ends up, it's just like that,
1: that's the that trajectory of it. is that's like, the beauty <laughs> of it. He's looking sharp and then he goes to the look where he's totally like eviscerated by nature.
3: You never know how your day could go. you <laughs> never
1: know how your day could go You start that the, trajectory you start at the nail salon and you end up sleeping in the woods uh. Tony and Carmella back in therapy together. Mm-hmm. They're always a nice scene. a Very different environment for Melfi, for the viewer. You get a little different sort of look. Uh, Steve Buscemi also commented about how he was lucky to be one of the few directors that got to shoot both of them mm. in therapy together. Uh, they're going back That's and forth point. about Jackie Jr. Melfi says the word rancor. The way she says it, I just love so much for some reason. I have no question or statement. I just wanted to say that because I'm going to play her saying the word rancor.
0: I find it very interesting that you're able to talk about this without rancor.
1: Jackie and Meadow playing Scrabble. Scrabble champion,
3: 2001.
1: Oblique. No Spanish. Indirect
3: not straightforward. That's a David Chase wink. Yes.
1: Meadows says it, but Mm -hmm. it's apropos, right? Tony is indirect, not straightforward with Carmela and Dr. Melfi. Paulie is with respect to his straightforwardness with Tony, R.E. what's about to happen, Mm -hmm. right? This is, this whole episode is a bunch of oblique. Jackie Bales, Echinacea, trivia question. Meadows suspects her eyes. where did that come from? What? Why is she
0: distrusting him suddenly?
1: Because of what happened in the last episode that I told you guys. She broke up with Jackie at the kitchen table when Carmela said, you should be taking advantage of all the city has to offer you.
0: But how would she think he's cheating on her?
3: No, so she, she doesn't still. No, yeah, because in the Christmas episode, she comes and Jack, where's Jackie? And she mentions he's visiting some sick friend. But yeah. it's this continuance of these really... Weird, weird stories that she's where... receiving is mm-hmm. is getting her to
1: going. And now after he leaves, she's thinking, like, why is he he didn't get any ass because it's what he wanted. He wanted he wanted a piece of ass, the or poo, one of those three. And so you see you see it all in Meadow's eyes. Like, what is this what is this Jack doing?
0: You, you know? should figure it out for Meadow.
1: Cut to Polly and Chris. Oh. So Naya asked off mic before we did this, like why do we all love this show? And now, as I'm re- getting to retell it with you guys, it's starting to come back to me. The opening sequence with Chris and polly they had been sent to go collect this money.
0: From why them Valor. together?
1: Well, because they rolled together. It's a
3: buddy system. It's always important.
1: But they don't, they don't. love each other. No, they don't love each other, but that's
3: part of the beauty of, yeah, part that's of the chemistry. Yeah, that's why it's so good. Russians, odd couple. Christopher says,
1: they're not all bad. Polly says. <laughs> I know. I'm going to play it, but I'm going to try to like, just say it. Cocksuckers moved nuclear warheads to Cuba. <laughs> Pointed them right at us. Polly's hand gestures, like, come on, man. It's just, it's, that's, that sets you up for what you're about, what's about to unfold, okay? Valerie offers a drink when he opens the door. Nice host. Yeah, Valerie, I'm going to say it early, and I'm going to hang true to this. Valerie is a nice guy. He's a drunk. He's kind of lost his way in the world a little bit. But nothing that happens from this point on should have happened. Agreed. I think Christopher says it. I think Tony says it. This is a complete botched job by Polly from the get-go. Could have gone, so gone so much easier. Poor Universal Remote. Put remote back on docking station. That's what sets off Polly. Look at this guy giving orders over here. Okay. Uh, Totally avoidable escalation. I think you're with me. Mm -hmm. You're with me. Totally. Right? Should have never happened. The fight ensues. It was heavily choreographed. Steve Buscemi talks about it. He tried to make it as real as possible because otherwise it would look really staged. Yeah. But it was a choreography that happens. What are you, a fucking doctor now? <laughs> when he says, I think I broke his windpipe. It's the deadpan, Ugh. back and forth. It's the writing. It's the writing, Nia. Yeah, it's That so makes good. it. And Terrence Winter, pen is mightier than the sword. True is true on this one.
0: Do you think Polly was triggered by him telling him what to do because he's frustrated where he is with his own position like why is he or is he just asserting his like authority in front of Chrissy like who's he need to show off for to like, take out his
1: taking out his frustration on Tony and Ralphie That's, and Silvio. Yeah.
3: He's not in a good place. On Valerie. Yeah.
1: So that just yeah. triggered him. Cuz in this episode he says "cocksucker Ralphie. Mm-hmm. Fuck Tony. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't even be here." Yeah. Right? Yeah, and you know. Silvio got the sniffles. So he's taking out all his shit on Valerie. Yeah. Not cool though. Not cool. Shouldn't have happened.
3: This is uh, post-pussy betrayal, too, and they all have been... They're all on
1: edge. Yeah. They need to take it out on somebody. That's a good observation. I like that. Okay. So here is something that nobody has talked about. Mm. Not autopsy. Not TV whatever the fuck. Not Soprano Sessions. Not Reddit. Valerie's alive. For sure. We know he's alive because they open up the trunk and... And Christopher says, cocksuck is still alive. <laughs>
3: so,
1: I'm so, with you. So he's alive. Now, here's my theory. This is one of the prevailing theories that Valerie climbed up at the tree. 100%. Right? We're, we're jumping ahead a little bit because everybody knows this episode. Everybody's dissected this episode. David Chase has gone on record and said that never happened. Okay? And
3: multiple times he's yeah. said some different things. He, went, he even kind of played into it and said Boy Scouts right. had found him. I like the tree-climbing theory. He well, goes up
0: it, for a second. That doesn't mean he doesn't come down. Right, and doesn't mean he comes Scouts down. find him.
1: But here's my thing. Did he fake his death so Polly let up with the violence? Did he just fake to, like, play dead and crack his windpipe or whatever? Was it some kind of Russian Green Beret strategy from the get-go?
0: It's very possible.
3: Yeah, you can go deep into when he gets out of the car and he looks around, it's like he's aware of his surroundings yes and, and bearings of where the car may be that's missing later it's all there okay i'm i'm with you
1: we'll 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 hash this out
3: as we go because
1: there's as we cut from this so we know that he gets thrown into the trunk of a car which is a great scene christopher looks to his left and he kind of like is observing the landscape they pick up a rug they throw it in the trunk cut to tony and gloria make up. okay mm-hmm. Polly calls this is the second in a series of Tony Pauly calls. This episode is kind of, kind of that. All communication right? series problems. Of, this episode could have been a podcast. Mm-hmm. This hotel room scene was shot in an actual Holiday Inn. Oh, it's an actual Holiday Inn interior, and the paintings that you see. I am such an asshole. I you tried to find. I tried to find meaning to the fucking paintings in the here's, Holiday Inn. Here is I didn't know that. Is <laughs> that exactly. until I did my research? Here's the ultimate slap in the face of everything means something. These paintings were all grabbed from different rooms in the same Holiday Inn, and they were flipped upside down on each other, so they didn't look identical. These paintings have absolutely no meaning whatsoever.
3: So the set dresser was getting creative.
1: Yes, wow. because they needed they needed some symmetry.
3: Well, I'm sure if you opened up a hotel, there'd be Caravaggio everywhere. In this uh, sexiest scene, I think we can all agree, of Gloria, um, it made me think about when you stay at a hotel and there's two beds. The two-bed theory, when you're like with someone there, it was like you have a bed to have sex with and you have Mm -hmm. a bed to sleep with. First of all, when
1: you go to a hotel, what's the first thing you guys do? The first thing when you walk into the hotel, the very first thing. Jump on the
3: bed for sure. Dive bomb into like, what's the first thing you do when you walk into a hotel?
0: I think I go look at the bathroom mirror.
1: Okay. I walk into the hotel room, I take the top cover and I pull it off.
3: Oh, that little. And I throw it it in the corner. Yeah.
1: Unless it's like a nicer place that just has like the down comforter or whatever. If there's a top cover, I yank it off. You yank it off? (laughs) Always. It's the first thing I do. Germs. A little poly in me Mm -hmm. coming out.
3: Just supposed to pick up the money.
1: We did, but he started giving us some shit. Freak sucker punch me. Christopher's face is fucking amazing. Flush. Toilet. This is, a, this is a great scene. Again, the audio on this was amazing. Phone woes. These phone woes, by the way, you guys, still exist yeah. in 2019. Gloria offers up some London broil. It's a hidden message to me, you guys. All these years. Decades. I don't know what, though nothing was on the director's cut either. Why London Broil? What does London Broil mean? Has London broil been a part of lovers' quarrels in the past? Why that specificity of the meat? Chris wants Roy Rogers.: I've never been to a Roy Rogers.: If Valerie is alive, here is my little part that I haven't seen anywhere. If he's alive, he hears the conversation that Polly and Christopher have in the trunk. Let's take him down to the Pine Barrens. He knows where he's going. Yeah. Okay. A, Mm -hmm. if he has a phone on his person, he can call for help or he can text message. He has a docking station and he has a universal remote on docking station, TV, DVD, all the shit. He knows how to send a text message. He's walking out of there, though. He walked out of that motherfucker, Pine Barrens, is what I'm saying. He texted somebody for help, exit 12, come and get me. It's possible. I'm just saying, if he's alive, he he could hear what they were saying in the trunk. He didn't just come to, like, jack-in-the-box when they opened the
3: trunk. Okay? <laughs> I love the negotiation and how casual they are about, and no urgency of time. I know. With a guy in their trunk. I know. I would be freaking out. we like, the, we need to get the fuck out of here. It's the beauty of the show. Yeah.
1: Another day at the office for them, though, it John. Is. Like, what you and I stress out about, like, oh, I got to get back to this email. Or oh, I got to get back to this guy. They're just like, you know, we got to move a body. It's the same shit. Like, I gotta, I'll got i get to it when I get to it. Right. Number 13 on my inbox. They're I'll trying get, to
0: plan their day around it. Yeah, I'll get
1: to it when I get to it. <laughs> right now, I'm going to eat some Italian heroes with Naya, and I'm going to record my fucking podcast. Okay? <laughs> I'll move the body after. It can hang out in the trunk until we're done. Um, that gas station where they filmed, the random man that walks by and stares at them, and you see the thing where Polly kind of looks at him awkwardly, it was partially because in New Jersey... You're not allowed to pump your own gas. You have to have an attendant do it for you. Why? So it's the law. It's like a fire thing. It's partially like a tax thing. You have to have an attendant do it for you. And so when you see a regular Joe Schmo doing their own gas, you look at them as like clearly not a local or like, what's your problem? Like, what are you doing? It's almost like the scarlet letter. Can't pump your own gas in Jersey.
3: The opposite of that is hilarious because I know people that grew up in areas like that and then come to California and don't know how to pump gas. Right. They're like, well, well, uh, where's, where's, the, the person? where's the person? Yeah.
1: Where's the person? Back to Melfi. She looks good. <laughs> Better than your average Tuesday Melfi, Naya. Fair enough.
3: Showing up <laughs> because of Gloria? <laughs> She's always on point, though.
1: Yeah. Not always. She was a little more, her proportions and her cuts, cause you're talking about cuts of meat, her cuts were Jackie April Jr. New York fashion show runway material.
0: Well, he does say, she reminds me of you. So Smart, it's sexy nice, Italian. It's nice to see her looking on her top game.
1: So, just saying that, because Tony directly compares the two of them, right? Tony fesses up about Gloria, finally. Okay, three episodes in. Mm -hmm. Smart, sexy Italian. Stick with your own kind. I love this line. What is this, West Side Story now? So good. Nod to the ethnic tribalism that Tony's displaying. That play and that later movie is about ethnic tribalism in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Leonard Bernstein, the best. Better husband and a better fada. Odd, right? Right? Yeah.
3: They do seem to be okay right now.
0: I think it's because he's busy, and so is Carmela. It's the holidays. She's busy. Like, there's not enough time. But I guess she's pissed off about Charmaine, so I don't know.
1: Him saying I'm a better husband and I'm a better father because I have mistresses gave me a plus for your case.
3: Yes, point to Tony being a bad father. He, <laughs> he has to be happy in order to let other people be happy.
1: The framing of the arrival Ugh. at Pine Barrens. So beautiful. By framing, I mean the visual. Shot by Henry Bronchstein. Not by Steve Buscemi. The exterior shots. Apparently he handled the second unit for this show. Really? Yeah. Um, The sense of depth, space, the cold environs. But there's actually a warmth and nostalgia to the whole thing. Right? Every time you you hear the car on the road, you see the trees, you see the birds. It's just a very beautiful sort of like, we're leaving New Jersey, North Jersey, and we're going to the wilderness. And
0: they found a way to do it where it wasn't like all these nature shots with these crane pans that felt like super weird. Like somehow I did, yeah. it didn't distract me. No. But then when I actually looked back to like explicate it deeper, I was like, there's a lot of fucking nature shots that like I didn't even notice because they did it so
1: well. Chrissy opens the trunk. <laughs> <laughs> is still alive. Valerie looks up. John pointed this out as he walks around Okay? That's what triggered the tree theory for me at the very beginning.
0: He's looking up the whole
1: time. Looking up the whole time, checking out his thing. Uh, He's already put the feelers out. If you subscribe to the notion that he was awake and he heard what they were talking about at the gas station, he knows he's got someone coming for him. The one thing that shoots this whole theory down, obviously, is that Slava doesn't know where he is or what's going on. You know, remember, they they have a moment, which we'll get to. So... Um, but he could have reached out to someone. He knows more than one other person, right? Or he could have ran into Boy Scouts. Could have ran into Boy Scouts. Later when he escapes, there's an overhead shot of Polly and Christopher. Almost as if he climbed up the tree to escape, which is what the theory suggests. Mm-hmm. I kind of liked it. I still kind of
3: do.
0: Where would his tracks go? The tracks just stop. they say. Yeah,
3: there's a comment about the blood trail missing and that's the best way to do it is to go Go up up.
0: and what's crazy is they don't even look up (laughs) right they don't that wouldn't even be an option for them they're
1: definitely not russian green beret
0: which is why we get to see it from up there looking down they don't even look up at
1: us because the viewer always knows more than the the people in the show the tree theory is the one that makes the most sense but the part that i'm adding to this is the fact that he knew where he was going because he was awake in the trunk yeah and so he put...
0: He's trained for this situation. He's, he's This is his environment. He's this pro- is,
1: getting into the Russian Green Beret probably required him to be wrapped up in an Oriental rug and put into the trunk of a car. Like I, Henry Houdini. Is it Harry Houdini? Harry, or? yeah. Harry Houdini, get out of this car and you can go out and kill 16 Chechen rebels single-handed.
0: I was just saying, I bet this was like really fun for him.
1: Yeah. Because he's he like a drunk
0: in like Jersey now. Like this was right. probably like, he was living it up. Like, yeah, give old, me some survivor. <laughs> I'm going to climb this fucking tree and wait.
1: The other thing he would have been doing on that day was putting his remote back yeah, on the docking station. Yeah. Cut to AJ watching TV. The only scene of AJ that we get.
0: I love this because he hears Tony. I never saw that yeah, before. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. never got That's that. That's the whole reason it exists yeah, is that you I are there that. to
1: know that AJ knows what's going on. Yeah. Pa- the, the dialogue that ensues. The music video that he's watching. Are you a fan of Blur?
0: I thought that was Beck. It was, it was
3: coffee and TV. So verse I two. I was Beck. The lyrics, do you go to the country? It isn't very far. There's people there who will hurt you because of who you are.
1: The other thing about blur that I just want to say, if we're just connecting dots here, call it whatever you want. Oblique, blur, Ooh. oblique and blur. Ooh. Okay, I like that. Karm's hat thing. <laughs> First of all, what is it? It's a Russian hat. And why was it invented? It's a Russian hat.
0: A new shanka. Yeah.
3: Am I pronouncing it correctly? Not a good look.
0: I thought she looked great. It's just a little
1: much for Jersey. Another Tony Pauly phone call. (sighs) Did you wrap the package? AJ hears. (laughs) Package hit Chrissy with an implement and ran off. I love the choice of the word implement. Is there any way the package could survive? AJ's listening. What do you think he's thinking? I could be walking into a fucking buzzsaw. The word buzzsaw. <laughs> emphasis on. You gotta wonder what Tony's got going, says Polly, This motherfucker. Okay. First of many, what about me, Polly? pushbacks. Kind of made me not like him here a little bit, you know, but he's so funny. You get through, but you can kind of see there's like a sinister side to Polly coming out. Yeah. And we're going to see more of it in just a minute. Tony goes to Slava with the money. The scheme is discussed. Valerie saved Slava's life in Chechnya, we learned. I would do anything for him, Yikes! he says. Great way to make the viewer kind of root for Valerie, Mm -hmm. right? He didn't do anything wrong in this whole situation. There's no reason to be hating on Valerie.
3: Putting value to this character. He's not just some Russian guy. And
1: Tony realizing
3: we're fucked. Did you see the gun on the table? Yes. Dude, that is a m- massive gun. Can you ID it? Uh,
0: that big silver one, right?
3: I, I'm assuming it's a desert eagle. It's like a 50 cal hand cannon. <laughs> There's no reason to have that unless is, you're about to take down a horse.
1: And his daughter's a I was room. just going to yeah. say that. Yeah.
3: Slava's a badass.
1: He's such a peaceful, gentle guy, too, Slava. Yeah. You know, lovable, huggable character. Camera swivel orbiting Chris and Polly in the snow. You're kind of moving in there with them. It's like almost like our feet are in the snow with these two guys. Tony's speech about Chechen rebels single-handed. The guy you're looking for is an ex-commando. He killed 16 Chechen rebels single-handed.
2: Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, nice, huh? He was with the Interior Ministry. Guy's some kind of Russian Green Beret.
1: It's one of the best sequences of all of The Sopranos. Totally. Definitely top ten dialogues of the series, potentially top five.
3: The game of telephone is such a trope that's used. Yes. And they do it magnificently.
1: The church that he's walking by is at the intersection of Main Street and DeGrasse Street in Patterson. Pauly! Fucking Rasputin, this guy. Love that. Rasputin, of course, is a Russian mystic, healer, and wanderer. So, great writing. Kind of surprising that Paulie was able to make the... I thought that was a... The metaphor. yeah. Or the analogy, I should say. Explain the line after Christopher shoots the deer. Which, by the way, was a fake deer and it cost $4,000 to get it set up like that. I'm in the wrong business. Paulie loses his shoe, which is a precursor to one of my all-time favorite lines.
2: We're no Magley over here.
1: Cut to the way Jackie Jr. applies cologne. <laughs> Meadow grows more suspicious. We see ass, we see the on the Scrabble board. That's all you need to know. Cut to Pine Barren's night. Little production aside, the exteriors were obviously outside, but the interiors of the van were shot in the studio. Really? Yeah. That's cool. And the breath, those were CGI'd. Really? Yeah. Chris is obsessed with eating berries. He sees an abandoned van, which we of course know from the exterior is a van, but from the interior is Silver Cup Studios. It's like diehard shit, Christopher says. Diehard discussion. Naya. Never seen it.
3: Hans Gruber, the most badass German villain.
1: Alan Rickman. Never seen diehard Nakatomi Plaza. Yeah. Argyle, his driver. Walking on glass. Pass. God. Paulie's really adamant that Valerie's dead. It's the fucking Yukon out there, he says. What's he scared of?
3: The repercussions of Mm. all of this.
1: What are the repercussions? Play it out for me, John. What is the scenario? So,
3: in scenario, if Slava finds out that one of Tony's crew members killed his best friend, eye for an eye, which then causes Tony to have to posture and prevent Slava from doing that, because if he doesn't protect his own crew, who, who is he? So you inadvertently start a war with the Russian mob as a result of this. I mean, towards the end, uh, Polly's not thinking there. that far ahead, though. Polly's well. Polly's he, only worried
1: about Tony, right? Uh, yeah. I, I like think, what you said. I think Polly. You think Polly's knows, playing chess?
3: Polly knows what the result. If he didn't know, then he wouldn't have lied about it. He he fucked up. He knows it. But um, it, it's interesting at the end of this. After Tony grabs him, that he all but puts it all on Polly and mm. says, "Hey, this is all you." If Slava finds out, so Tony, you're
1: gonna take the heat.
3: Yeah. And, and maybe in that scenario, my thought of that doesn't happen because Tony's like, well, I'm sorry he fucked up. You can kill him now. Oof.
1: The ketchup and relish, of course, is a classic.
3: Not bad. Mix it with the relish.
1: Hugh's got glaucoma.
3: Are you aware that there's, a, there's like, two stories? Uh, one in 2002, a man survived on packs of ketchup and taco sauce. <laughs> Tell. <laughs> um...
1: Really? It's the, the taco Bell taco sauce? Taco Bell taco sauce is legit.
3: It is pretty good. It, the story I'm talking about is uh ketchup and Robert British. Ward, a 32-year-old West Virginia man who was trapped in his car for nearly a week. He survived only by eating packets of fast food ketchup and sauce, by burning the paper bags in his fast food, and uh, eating snow to obtain water. So Smart. How uh,
1: where was this and what year was this? This was
3: 2002. So it, what
1: happened after Pine Barrens? Yeah.
3: Huh. Maybe the show saved him.
1: The show probably did save him.
3: I mean, you can survive quite a long time without eating.
1: You need water more than you need food.
3: Yeah. I think you can water survive is
1: without food for a long time. Almost a month. That's why month. intermittent fasting works. Yeah. You don't need to eat in, in, for 48 hours. You, you can don't...
3: survive 21 days, it says yeah. I'm sure, it'd give or take. But
1: Hughes glaucoma is what causes the London broil scene to take foot. Paulie's phone call again. The shitty phone, I got to say, you guys— a lot of battery for 2001, right? Yeah. I would have so much battery anxiety.
0: I didn't think of that.
3: I always operate with about 15% on my phone anyway. Me too.
1: Polly wants advice. Polly tries to blame Chris. This kind of made me not like him again. You know, like, the fuck's trying to blame Chris for? You can tell that Tony's a little suspicious about that. Like, what are you, what are you changing your story on me now? Tony's the master of deception. Mm. So he knows when he's being deceived. He has to. Meadow calls Jackie, voicemail. She decides to take Ambijan's car and spy on him. Love her. Love her. Good, Love her good friend. For her line,
0: though, too. Where she, like, confronts the hugger.
1: Oh, yeah, fuck you, bitch. B- yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tony's late. Glorious pissed.
0: How she opens the door is so good. I want her to be treated like shit. I'd get married.
1: Amen. Chris is trying to make fire. Oh, God. Like Tom Hanks and Castaway. Yeah,
3: I, I knew. That's what I was... You told me earlier. That is and like, hilarious. The camera
1: trains on him for a long time, and it's exactly what Tom Hanks is doing for Wilson. He's trying to get Wilson a hot meal. He's, he's rubbing wet sticks together. You know what? Tom Hanks, as confirmed in one of the Sopranos grand memes, Tom Hanks fucking made fire. See, that's why I don't want to watch Castaway. Of course, Tom Hanks can make fire; he
0: what? survives. Like, there's no struggle. How do you
3: know oh, he survives? Dude, you don't oh. know the struggle that Tom he goes Hanks. through. Yeah, How do
0: you know? You can't kill Whoa. Tom. You Hanks. don't
3: even know
1: the half of the struggle, Naya.
3: There's a reason why he's super stoked about that. How fire. How long is this movie? Three hours. Oh, three hours? No. It's three hours. I think it's Is three, it?
1: Yeah. Three hours. It's worth every minute. All right, it's I'll watch so it tonight. Good. Promise. I promise. Oh, I'll put it in your story. Yeah. Paulie's really pissed. Tony, Ralphie, Silvio calls what he's doing an insult. I've been working on a plan, he said, <laughs> which to me sounds very loaded. Mm-hmm. Working on a plan to take out Tony. There's a theory out there. One of the avid listeners who does more of this shit than we do combined, says that the whole thing at the very end, I'm probably going to have to take this out, Members Only was all orchestrated by Pauly. He was absent. He was MIA. Mm. And he was pissed. He's been having bones to pick since season one. So anyway. The the
3: theory could be, too, that it's Slava that organized it.
1: Mm. Yeah. interesting. We should have stopped at Roy Rogers. (laughs) Fuck him. We're going to die out here, Christopher. Just a great exchange between these two. Timeless, priceless writing. Another phone call. They're freezing and starving this time. Chris talks to Tony in this go-around. Tony relents and plans to go rescue them. Gloria goes apeshit.
0: So good.
1: Naya, could you throw a London broil that hard?
0: Yes, I've thrown things before.
1: Because she couldn't. The real yeah. life, Annabella Ciora was unable to. Really? Do you know about this? No. Annabella Steeler could not hit him. She's tiny. The camera crew people tried to get in on the mix and try to throw the London broil at the back of Tony's head unsuccessfully. Ultimately, Steve Buscemi is the one that throws the meat because no one else could hit him from that range. That's a great fun fact. So, so how you many, see her throw it, yeah. and the camera cuts to the back of Tony's head. That throw is from Steve
3: Buscemi. How many takes do you think they did for her... Messing up that the table great. after. That was pretty good.
1: I watched the director's cut last night. He didn't say, but he did say that the way she did that was very, she was like, it was like a ballet. She was very good at mayhem. Mm-hmm. You know? Meadow catches Jackie. All I have to say. Good. <laughs> is it's over and good. Right? Next. Yeah. Next boyfriend, Meadow. Junior's house. Bobby comes to ride with Tony. Do you know the backstory behind this? Yeah.
3: With the dildo? Yeah. Yeah.
0: How funny. <laughs> That's crazy. So good.
3: And where on set does someone have a 30 inch dildo that they just. It was have? a 30 inch dildo? Someone's got one in a glove box, right? 30 inches. I do not know that they made <laughs> a 30 inch dildo. <laughs> Unless hey, it's uh, that Requiem for a Dream. Double sided one. one.
1: Oh no! I thought you were gonna say uh, Tormund from Game of Thrones. Oh god! <laughs> <laughs> goats milk. <laughs> I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Dude, I
3: uh, offline conversation. Giant milk. milk.
1: Bobby comes to ride with Tony. The outfit. Um, Bobby and Tony bond a little in the car on the ride down. Yeah. Bobby would love to have an uncle like Junior. Yeah.
3: Uh, nice Bobby little moment. Should be in stand up with that joke. Too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> nice little moment uh-huh. between them. Cars and bonds, there's something, we talked about this on the podcast on a personal level too, there's something about cars and driving and bonding in music, right? Mm -hmm. And this was one of those moments, and clearly it's affected the writers and the creators of The Sopranos because they always do it.
0: Also at the end, they're in the car and they don't say anything to each other, which I think is really interesting. And
1: they say one thing. Well, yeah. Mayonnaise! Then, yeah. <laughs> mayonnaise! Uh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I hated that. <laughs> I'll leave you here, you one shoe cocksucker. <laughs> so, so good.
0: Did
3: you see the thing, the tie in with the mayonnaise that somebody pointed out uh, in Christopher's Dream in the Legend of Tennessee Moltisanti, Oh, yeah. Really? Uh, email talks about asking for a sandwich and to <gasps> hold the mayo. Oh, yeah. Um, sign next to Meadow at the hospital. Don't
1: know if you guys noticed this, but I was trying to redeem myself from the Holiday Inn, the meaning of the Holiday Inn paintings. The sign that's next to her says, don't get left in the rain. Aww. Bruno Mogli over here. Polly is making a makeshift shoe. One of my all-time favorite lines. It's a simple, subtle inside thing, but I just love it every single is time. Is that a
3: wink to the OJ thing that we saw in the previous episode? I didn't know about this brand until the OJ trial.
1: Was uh, O.J. wearing Bruno Magli's?
3: Yeah, it's the footprints. It's a very expensive, distinct shoe, which put a lot of heat on O.J. as motive, or that he was there.
1: Sign next to Meadow in the hospital. We already did that. Bruno Magli over here already did that. But she's
0: really upset. Does that prove to you now that she actually really wanted this relationship? She's upset because
1: she got jilted. She's going to move on fast. She's Meadow fucking soprano. But she
0: says you don't know where he come from. It's difficult. That's
1: a moment of emotion. You know, you watch. I watch Castaway. I cry for thirty minutes, but then I'm functional after thirty minutes. I, I'm not out of commission for two weeks. Fair enough. They get rescued. The guys, Christopher and Paulie. Paulie lost the money. We learn.
3: That's the only thing he was sent to do. <laughs> What's up with the arms in the air thing? Like they thought they were getting air support from Tommy, <laughs> <That was laughs> like so waving, good. Yeah. waving a helicopter down. They're just two fucking two assholes <laughs> lost in the woods, man.
1: <laughs> Paulie admits. He fucked up. Mm. He tells Tony the guy fucking lunged at us. Again, another lie, uh, more obfuscation, oblique, mm. right? Christopher's face is priceless the way that he looks. The camera keeps showing you Christopher looking at Paulie like you one shoe cocksucker, you know? <laughs> Tony lets Paulie decide, which I think is a very good thing that Tony does. He did it with Ralphie, you're mm-hmm. a captain, you decide. Oh, actually, he does this and he does that with Ralphie. Next episode, I'm getting ahead of myself, but he lets his captains do what they want.
3: Great management.
1: But he insulates himself. He puts himself into a shell company. He takes boards a plane, flies to the Isle of Man, and sits there until these guys work their shit out. Mayonnaise on the chin. The music. The snow. The trees. The fucking nostalgia. Right. Yeah. When they're leaving. Yeah. It was perfect.
3: Yeah. Anybody who's ever been
1: on a ski trip, anybody who's ever been driving through the snow, that is, that's it. That's what it feels like. Ending in Melfi's office. Read into things however you choose, she says, Mm. which is so, so much chicken on that wing.
3: It's (laughs) David Chase again. You Chicken
1: know? on that wing, I like that. There's just so much, like, so much meat. That's like a drumette. <laughs> it's not a wing. It's not one of the wings. You know when you order wings and you get the, they give you more wings than the drumettes, and you're like, "Fuck, this is a drumette." I love that.
0: I and, had to make a
3: decision last night where there was more drums than wings if I divided so it. Yeah. Beth got more drums, so I'm a nice Aww. guy.
1: Why does everything gotta be so hard? Tony asks. But I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I do the right thing by my family. Doesn't I come for anything? A little hypocritical, a little manipulative, but it's slightly delusional, but also weirdly paradoxically true.
3: Yeah, it's very humanizing. Yeah. I feel that all the time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Melfi yeah. links Irina and Gloria to another woman in Tony's life. She doesn't say it. He doesn't get it. It probably goes right over his head. But we're talking about Livia.
0: Ugh.
3: He's known her his whole life. The
1: Ghost of Christmas Past. Hey, oh, you jumped an episode.
3: <laughs> the ghost of Christmas past
1: rears her head again.
3: Did you s- see the statue shot?
1: Yes, before it starts. Nice way to get you back into the headspace of yeah. s- Snow North Jersey. The slow fade to black to the sounds of the aria. Sposa son dispersata which
0: i love goes to the next episode.
1: That's yes. how the next
0: episode starts with that song.
1: And it means i am wife, i am scorned. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> we pulled off the double header in record time.
0: Yeah, it was fun. It was I'm like sure on, we some on some
3: media episodes too.
1: Everybody's seen it, everybody's dissected it. I just kind of wanted to give it the pot of Bing treatment. Did yeah. you
3: guys
0: read any ab- about the old movie that they thought it was inspired by? There's this Oh, old... uh, waiting
1: for Godot? mm mm-hmm. Mhm. They parallel is that they're waiting for the russian to come back mm-hmm. and then godot they're waiting for i think god mm-hmm. and god doesn't show up
0: yeah
3: i have to say it's not my favorite and that's because ralph is not in this episode second
1: episode in a row Ugh. i call it a nice little vacation yeah from ralph safaretto it's not my favorite
0: either but the more i watch it it's because it can stand alone
1: yeah like one that's hour why movie. i don't love it's one hour it it's a one-hour movie yeah it's you don't need to know anything about what these guys do mm-hmm. for a living or anything yeah. And when it ends, for all intents and purposes, it's a movie like, is there going to be a Pine Barrens 2? Like, does The Russian come back? I hope so. Standalone movie. And everybody to a T that has been a part of the show at a high level has said, and Steve Buscemi just said it as recently as this, with respect to this, one of the things I love about most about this show is that it's watching a bunch of one-hour movies. For sure. Every single episode mm-hmm. is like a one-hour movie. And that's one of the main reasons why doing the podcast without spoilers— works because you're respecting the movie as standalone. Mm -hmm. So thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you, Naya. Thank you, Vic. We'll see you next week. Okay, so Joe from Orlando is one of our Potta Bing Sopranos trivia champions, and he picked Pine Barrens as the episode that he'd like to talk about. So since we just recorded Pine Barrens, I thought I would attach... Joe's conversation to the Pine Barrens podcast proper. So, here's my conversation with Joe from Orlando, one of Pata Bing's Sopranos Trivia Champions. We are doing our very first Pata Bing Sopranos Trivia Champion episode. I am joined on the phone by Joe from Orlando. Hi Joe. Hey, what's going on, Vic? Joe is one of our champions, and he was the first champion to actually tell me which episode he wanted to do. And he picked, I'll let you say it. What did you pick? I
2: picked Pine Barons.
1: Okay, so Joe picked Pine Barrens, and the timing couldn't be more perfect. I just released an episode with Vitaly Baganov, who played uh, Valerie the the Russian. Um, that is available now, and um, we've also recorded the Pine Barrens episode, so I will probably end up attaching this conversation to that podcast, and so it's kind of a nice little cluster of Pine Barrens content. So excited to do this with you, bud.
2: I couldn't wait, Vic like I couldn't wait. You know, I was looking into the episodes, and I was like, you know, I was like, one my favorite episode and everybody's one of everybody's favorite episodes is probably the Pine Barrens one. You know, just the the kind of the comedic uh, aspect of it. You know, all the all the all the different you know interesting stories that come into in the play with it is unbelievable. And I mean, just for the, the the comedy factor alone of Paulie and Christopher lost in the woods is one by far one of the best episodes.
1: For sure. Before we jump into Pine Barrens, I just want to kind of give people a little context on who you are. Um, you're from Orlando. I refer to you as Joe from Orlando. What do you do down there in Orlando?
2: Well, Vic, I'm originally from North Jersey. Um, okay. Moved down here about two years ago. Um, I am a barber. Um, I'm you know I met my fiance. In New Jersey, she was working as a flight attendant for United. And um, when we found out that she was pregnant, she wanted to move um, closer. To, you know, she wanted to be home with her with her family. And, you know, me being a barber, even though I had a successful career up in North Jersey, um, you know, I could do this. I could, you know, pretty much work anywhere in my profession. So when she said she wanted to come to Orlando, it was probably, you know, a great idea one at the time, because like Christopher, I was dealing with substance abuse. Um, so to just get out of New Jersey was probably one of the better things for me. So to do that, you know, dealing with something like that and then having a little guy on the way was probably the best thing for me. Um, I just recently celebrated a year of sobriety, uh, the last Saturday, May 11th. Um, and it would probably wouldn't be possible without my buddies, um, that I met down here, um, who, uh, I work with closely. It's, uh, they own a, um, company called Tribe, uh, Intensive. Um, shout out to them. Shout out to Harrison, Ken, and Tom, who've been more than, uh, have had a huge impact on my life as far as the last year, as well as my fiance, Stephanie, who, you know, for all intents and purposes saved my life along with my son, Luca.
1: Very cool. Congratulations on your sobriety, and I love the name Luca. It's a great name for a
2: boy. Thank you. Thank you.
1: Um, or a girl.
2: Well, you know what it was? We were going to go with, if he was going to be a girl, it was going to be Luciana. So then when okay. it came, he's actually Joseph he's actually like Luca, but we, we are like to call him Luca to differentiate from him and him.
1: Love it. You're from Jersey, so this kind of answers my next question. But when did you get into the Sopranos? Like, when? What was the moment? If you want to say how old you are, that's fine. Like, did you watch it when it was during its original run? Oh, kinda yeah, of like...
2: absolutely. Okay, during, during the original run. Like, I mean, I'm 32 now, um, and you know, growing up in New York, Jersey, and then you know, being from an Italian family, you know, my, you know, my father was always into mob movies. I mean, I, I think I got into the Sopranos. Right around, probably right around 99, 2000, you know, I had to sneak it because, you know, my parents, you know, didn't want, didn't want to expose us to that at the time. You know, you figure I was 12, 13 at the time. So So sure. sneak watching it. And then my father's like, you know what? They're going to watch it anyway, so he might as well watch it with us. You know, I mean, it's a couple times you got to cover your eye, act like you're covering your eyes in certain scenes you know, when you're at the bing or whatever. But yeah, probably around 13. And, you know, it's been... I, I like I mean, you when people hear, you know, the trivia, when you, I mean, I, when you ask me you know one question and you're in complete shock, I mean, I probably watch it, can we watch the series, you know, at least four times a year. Are you going to watch it with your boy one day? Absolutely. Some, I mean, sometimes I'm sitting there, he gets mesmerized by it, like, he I mean, obviously he doesn't know what's going on, but he'll stop and he'll like stare at the TV when, if I have it on.
1: Mine does the same. He he obviously is a little bit older, but uh yeah. he he knows that if I'm watching a daddy thing it's it's the Sopranos. So I mm-hmm. can't wait.
2: Absolutely. Um Absolutely. why'd
1: you pick why'd you pick Pine Barons? There's eighty six episodes. Why'd you pick that one?
2: Well, you know, I mean, to me it's one of my favorite episodes. I mean and you know, I kinda wanted to you know, correspond with, you know, how you were going with the podcast, you know, and then today that you happen to drop, you know, the, the interview with the Russian was just unbelievable. And, you know, but I was thinking like either fun house or, you know, pine Barrens. um, You know, for all debts public and private, you know, from from season four, that's another one another one of my favorite ones. The Pine Barons just sticks Pine Barons just sticks out to me because of just the you know, the comedic aspect. All the stories that intertwine throughout the season. You know, that just was was, it's the one episode that sticks out to me. I mean everybody obviously remembers Christopher and Paul getting lost in the woods. You know, which is one of the one of the best it's probably one of the best sequences in the entire show, as far as comedy wise, um, but just like all the storylines, I mean, you can, you see the start of the storyline of you know Tony getting you know Tony distancing himself distancing himself from Paulie. You know, maybe you start to see why you know when he goes to the camp why he starts dealing with Johnny Sack a little bit more. You know, even though Johnny ends up playing him, you know, you start seeing that distance between the two of them, you know, I mean, you start seeing him, you know, trust Christopher more and more, even with the, you know, obviously Christopher had the addiction, but you know, you start seeing, um, you know, Christopher's, um, rise and the family as he's, you know, he, he trusts Christopher's judgment more and more. You know, I, and another thing I really like is how, you know, even the relationship with Bobby, you know, it's almost like you see a respect come up to him more and more because of that, you know, because of this episode.
1: I, I totally am with you on the notion that po- things between Tony and Pauly start to unravel a little bit. I don't know if "unravels" the right word, but they start to, you can sense some tension forming between them. And you mentioned Johnny Sack, which is stuff that's going to come up, in, especially next season. Do you think, um, are, you, are you team Pauly all the way to the end? Are you ride or die for Pauly? Or do you think that he might have had something to do with the final outcome of the show, like turning against Tony? Where do you fall on that?
2: see it's tough because I love you know, I love Paulie as a character. Actually funny story, um, you know, the from a later episode in I guess it was season five, when they're filming when he's with the gardener, when he you know, when he when he go him and Keach Lamanna have the beef. My mother actually met Paulie. Um she it was filmed right outside like right by where she works. She was a teacher um by where they uh filmed the episode. But I mean I love Paulie and it's you know, as you start to see him develop and it starts going, you know, where he's giving the information. It's like, it was almost like at that, you know, I wanted to see him get his more than anything. But at the end of the day, I love Paul. You know, he's, he was always, he was always loyal to Tony and almost to a fault. And in a sense, you know, even though he did kind of screw himself over at the, you know, you see him start screwing himself over at the start, you know, during this episode and his, I, you know, I couldn't see the show, Ending without Paulie, and I don't, I don't know if you know. I mean, Tony obviously trusted him enough to bring him to that last sit down. So I mean, yeah. I mean, there wasn't really anybody else he could bring him could bring with him. I mean, other than maybe Patsy, because that's the other another guy that had been around in the family long enough. But I mean, it's a, that's a tough. It's a tough to 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 get into that aspect of like, is he you know was he part of the demise of that family? Or you know, with the outcome, you know, did, does he have something where you know maybe uh, maybe you know? And my theory, as as I start thinking about it more and more, what if Paulie is the one that put you know when the when it when it goes to black in the last episode? What if Paulie, because now he knows that he's potentially the next you know the next boss, maybe yeah. he had Tony clipped? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of... he pretty much put him as number two there at the you know in, the, in those in those last two episodes. Right.
1: No, it's uh, I never really thought about it or considered it, to be honest with you, until Pada Bing. Um, but I hear uh-huh. more and more about it, and I've read some stuff about it. And it's a, I mean, obviously. It's all conjecture. There's no right or wrong. Mm -hmm. It's just a good discussion point, but it's super, uh, it's super, uh, possible that because he was next in line, um, that was his moment. And he seized his moment because he was one of the few people that knew where Tony was that night. Um, back to Pine Barrens. What, uh, what do you think happened to Valerie? What's your take on Valerie?
2: Vic, yeah, I think this is the question everybody has. Actually, when in the notes that I wrote down for a question for you, I was gonna ask you what your take was on Valerie.
1: Well, you tell um, me yours and then I'll tell you mine.
2: I honestly, Vic, I mean the more you think about it, you know, I, did he survive, you know, because is he is, did you, every time you watch the episode, he take it looks like he takes the headshot. But my employee gets there and goes First, first of blood. it's just like the trail ended. And the camera is, you know, is pointing down at them. To me, yeah. that's the viewpoint of the yeah. Russian looking down at them. And I then agree. his car is gone. You know, I mean, maybe he dies on the way in the car, you know, in, you know, on the way he's trying to drive home, maybe he gets hit and he, that's when he you know he dies. But I feel like he has got he had gotten out without them knowing because he that way the way the camera was, and it's like he stumbles well, because you know, obviously it looks like he gets hit in the head. It looks like he stumbles. And then, you know, but then the, the trail of blood just ends. You know, where, where did it go? You know, obviously there's the three of them in the woods. Where did it go? And then Paulie's car is gone in the morning.
1: You know, uh, you haven't heard the episode yet that we did for Pine Barrens. I'm still working on it, and it's going to come out when this mm-hmm. comes out. But I'll just tell you right now, my theory on it is I'm with you on the, on the tree. Obviously, David Chase has said that's, like, false. That's not what happened. But... Yeah we know, we know that he's alive. He's clearly alive, yeah. right? Because when he, they opened the trunk, it, uh, uh, Christopher says one of the funniest lines ever, even though it's a, it's on paper, it looks like a silly, it looks like a throwaway line, but the way that Christopher says, it makes me laugh and fall out of my chair every time. Cocksuck is still alive. You know, <laughs> it's just awesome. so, it's so awesome. But so he was alive when they were pumping gas at the gas station right? Mm -hmm. And Paulie and Christopher were outside pumping gas and as you know, living in North Jersey you're not supposed to pump your own gas in North Jersey, right? Um, Which is why that person that walks by him is kind of looking at him funny. It's because, hey, what are you doing? You're like breaking the law. It's like a big deal in New Jersey. So my theory, and nobody's talked about this. I haven't seen this on Reddit. I haven't seen this on autopsy Um, and just basically I haven't seen it anywhere that I look to go to for Soprano stuff. No one has talked about this idea that valerie overheard where he was going to be taken um Mm -hmm. and it's it's probably unlikely that he has a cell phone on him maybe maybe he does i don't know but he was somehow able to signal or somehow able to triangulate where he was going to be and get to safety Mm -hmm. like if if he knows he's going to pine barrens he has time Mm -hmm. between the gas station and the time he escapes to figure out a way home so yeah I think that's that a long way of me saying. Fear. I think he's alive. I think he escaped.
2: Absolutely. You know, we he were hearing the uh, the episode today with uh, with Valerie. I'm like, I'm not going to give it away on here. I'll let everybody listen. But some of the things that he was saying, I was just opened my eyes to like, wow, you know. I mean, yeah, he did have that was you know. He was in two episodes, but that was you know that this episode is the one he's remembered for. Yeah, and it's just like that theory that you just put out there is unbelievable. What is your
1: Favorite line or favorite scene from the episode?
2: Honestly, the, the, if you take away that banter of you know the 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 ketchup, you know the ketchup mixed with the relish, if you take away all that. I should have gone favorite, to Roy Rogers. <laughs> I should have booked Dale Evans, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> um, my favorite banter is probably when you get when you, when that one scene, and uh, you know it's. And it's funny when you go and like if you see anything about like the behind the scenes um, of them making that scene, when Bobby walks in to Uncle Junior's house, all in the camo, and when you know like the behind the scenes of it, like, okay, this is why James, James, well, Tony, James Gambaltini, Tony was laughing so hard that he came in with a, a dildo to yeah. make him laugh in the morning, which was unbelievable. And just, I mean, just the fact of like, when you, when you think about 2019 and you know, the cell phones. I mean, everybody's got cell phones and you hardly ever drop a call. But the, 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 the 16, you know, the, how they have bad service. And then, you know, I got six, you know, he goes, this guy killed 16 Czechoslovakians. He was with the interior ministry. And Paulie interprets it as he killed 16 Czechoslovakians. The guy was an interior decorator. Yeah, and His yeah. house And his house looked like shit. You know, that I, is my favorite that, that's know, my
1: favorite scene too when tony's walking yeah. he's walking past the church and he's explaining that this guy killed 16 chechen rebels single-handed um the and then the phone keeps cutting out I don't know about you man but like i I have we just we just had a we just had a phone situation yeah. right now on this podcast that's still real in 2019 it shows you how relevant and timeless the show yeah. is
2: absolutely absolutely
1: we're still you know, dealing I mean, with the same shit one-
2: yeah, it's just, but it's hysterical like that, that we remember that stuff. I mean, because I, I mean, other than like this little thing now that we had just before, but, you know, cutting in and out like of cell phones, every now and then you get something, but, you know, it still happens. And I mean, maybe not as bad where, you know, you hear them going back and forth and then you hear other calls coming in, you know, like the one when Paul is down in the woods and it sounds like there's another call, you know, being in, um, on the line with him and Tony.
1: Right. So, the, another line that I really like is when uh, Christopher is trying to, like, basically get confirmation, uh, you, know, c- you know, be comforted by the notion that Valerie's dead, and Paulie's like insistent that he is, because obviously Paulie doesn't want the rap. Paulie doesn't want to get have yeah, this fall on him. But the line, "It's the fucking Yukon out there," it's just a great <laughs> piece of, oh,
2: yeah. you know, hysterical. it's just it's, that, that, it's so good. Yeah, he's like, I'm gonna go eat those berries. I'm telling you, they're poison. Fuck that! At least I don't die hungry. That is that banter back and forth is some of the best of of the entire series.
1: One thing about the phone that kind of surprised me. Again, it's TV. uh, Mm. They probably took some liberties there, but I would have serious battery anxiety. Like cell phone signals, Um, one thing, but like your battery's draining, and when you are in like the boondogs, you're roaming, and so you you have even you're drinking even more battery. I was pretty impressed. I was pretty impressed with Polly's phone. I gotta say,
2: yeah. We had like the old Nokia that we used to play Snake on. That's where. That's why. That's why it stayed on for so long.
1: How do you feel about the prequel movie?
2: I think. See, I, I mean, obviously, I don't think David Chase would do anything half-assed, and you know, I don't think he would go into this. I mean, it's been 20 years since the series ended. You know, I don't think he's going to do any. Or she, since the series started, it's been you know 12 years since the series ended. You know, I mean, I don't think he's going to do anything half-assed. I think, you know, that he's a a great storyteller. And, I mean, he always wanted to make this a movie before it was a series. You know, I think think it's going to be unbelievable. You know, I mean, with Michael Gandolfini, you know, um, Ray Liotta. You know, I mean, Joey Diaz has been confirmed to be in it. I don't know if anybody listens to the Joey Diaz podcast, but he's an unbelievable comedian. And, you know, he was great in The Longest Yard, but, you know, Everybody compares him to you know. He thinks he looks like Big Pussy from you know him and uh, bumping you know uh, what's his face uh, Vincent Pastore look alike. But I yeah. mean I think like I think I think it's going to be unbelievable. I mean the way the way David Chase tells a story, I don't think there's any way it couldn't be unbelievable. Agreed. I just I mean, me personally, I just don't want I I'm I i do not have any high expectations. I want to be you know I'm going to go into it with an open mind. I think if people expect it to be you know. You know, like a a condensed version of a whole series of Sopranos, they're going to be disappointed because I think even though it's, it is a prequel, there's still the other story of New York riots and you know the racial tension between that what happened that was going on at that point in New Jersey at that time. You know, so I think you have to look at it from all aspects. I mean, obviously David Chase is going to have he's got this, the Sopranos cast in there, but everybody's got to realize too that it's going to be a different. You know, it's going to be different than what, you know, what The Sopranos was. But I think it's going to be an unbelievable movie.
1: Yeah, I am secretly rooting for it to be more about other stuff and less about The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. They obviously will be Absolutely. a part of the story, but I hope it's not the focus, just because um, then the expectations will get much higher. And I think he's smart enough to Absolutely. know that already. Um, Absolutely. What do you think about the ending? What are your thoughts on how the show ended?
2: Well, I can remember, I can remember it like the ending, like it was yesterday. Watching it live, being at my buddy's house across the street from my parents, and at the time we're watching it in HD. His parents are downstairs watching it in you know regular definition, and my I remember the screen going to black, and I'm like, I thought my buddy sat on the remote. I'm like, what the fuck is the remote? And about three seconds, you know, three three away from the HD to the you know his father's, what the fuck. You know, everybody's screaming and yelling. But I think the ending was probably one of, you know, one of the interpretation, which is, you know, we go back to David Chase. He's, um, I think that he did it, in pur- you know, did it on purpose, um, you know, to everybody to draw their own conclusion. But I mean, I think the ending for me was, I thought it was a, I thought it was a great ending. You know, I, I, I'm not disappointed by, you know, quite people, you know, to, oh, I invested X number of years in watching the show and then to see the ending, oh, I was disappointed. No, I think the ending was perfect. Let you draw your own conclusions. Obviously, you know, if the, with the passing of James Gandolfini, they couldn't make a movie with him in it. But, I mean, I feel like at a certain point when you look at Meadow's character and, you know, Carmela, I mean, I've always felt, felt like Meadow, for as much as she took gigs at Tony, she was like the the one that was more likely to run the family than AJ. To me, AJ was just a big pussy. I couldn't. I, it was like dude, when you look at him and Janice. I couldn't. You know, don't know which one I could, couldn't stand more. But I was happy with the ending. You know, just to let you draw your own conclusion. And like you say, Vic. You know that three o'clock or that reference is right there. The guy with the members only jacket going in was at Tony's three o'clock at the end. You know, the end of the final scene.
1: I'm with you 100%, man. And I, I, I also, I'm on Team Meadow, too. I've always been on Team mm-hmm. Meadow since Absolutely. the beginning. Absolutely. Any questions? Anything unresolved about uh, Pine Barrens or anything unresolved about the show that you want to get off your chest?
2: I also want to know, did you think this was the start? I mean, like, I think we talked about it a little bit. Was This was the start of a turning point for Tony with uh, Bobby Bacala, as far as his respect and the loyalty that he had towards Tony
1: yeah they have a meeting they're driving down and they have a moment where I think he says you know I would, I would love to have an uncle like like Junior in my life um, I think mm-hmm. if I think more than anything what that does is it also makes Tony respect his uncle uh, a, a little bit more because he heard that from somebody mm-hmm. else um, yeah. and as we know so sh- soon. Um, but not without giving too much away, uh, Bobby's going to get a promotion pretty soon from uncle junior. So this is kind of all building Mm -hmm. up towards that. Um, but I agree. Mm -hmm. I think, I think it was a turning point there. And I think the other major turning point in this episode is what you mentioned, uh, kind of the, not a falling out, but sort of a tension between, uh, Tony and Pauly.
2: Yeah, that's that was another one. There was another one I said, I and mean, just one one other question that I had um, for you, Vic, was what do you think? You know, why do you think Paulie felt the need to, honestly, like you know, you said in the interview, like you know, Valerie wasn't a bad guy. You know, if anybody, for anybody that hasn't listened to the you know the interview with Valerie yet, his character wasn't a bad guy. Paulie, he was provoked to attack. Why do you think Paulie felt the need to, you know? To attack him to to actually act like an asshole when he's just going to pick up the money, and
1: that's it that's an interesting question i the easy answer, like the knee jerk answer is that he was pissed that Tony wanted him to go do Silvio's job. It was Silvio's yeah. pickup um and tony or, or I'm sorry, Paulie feels like a like a Bevilacqua. he feels like a piss boy, and yeah. so he was gonna take it out on you know. An ethnic minority or he was going to take it out on the Russian and because, because that was an easy way for him to do it. But I don't think it was deserved. I think the whole episode, and you'll hear it in the, in the Pine Barrens episode that we're going to release, the whole episode could have been avoided. I mean, the, the, uh, he, because Valerie hands him the money. He even offers him a drink. Would you like a drink? He was a, he was a good host. Would you like a drink? Mm put remote back on docking station he didn't say it rudely he asked politely no. and christopher was also of the mind that hey we're a guest in this man's home uh let's mm-hmm. just take our money and let's leave um but yeah. i think pauly i think pauly had an axe to grind um but because that's I, I i would like a better answer than it was just he was pissed at silvio but we learn it yeah. he complains about silvio in the van remember he's like this mm-hmm. you know this is silvio's thing i'm not even supposed to fucking be here um yep. But to me, personally, that's not enough to to go on this huge, entire, unnecessary...
2: Exactly. Absolutely.
1: Hey, listen, it was great to talk to you. Thank you, Joe. This was fun.
2: Jake, I just want to give another shout-out to my boy, Todd Duffy, who's a die-hard Sopranos fan as well. He would kill me if I didn't shout him out on this podcast.
1: You got it. Take care, and uh, get back to your family. <laughs>